Uh, it's great to see you guys this morning. Uh, it's really good to see you guys this morning and to be back in fellowship again as we, uh, as we uh, come together as a church and remember his word and be able to uh, really uh, reflect on the word of God and to be in the company of one another. So important. And it's lovely to see so many people gathering again together. The last uh, few weeks, I've been looking at a few kind of little mini-series of different things and just trying to highlight or share with you my heart as a church and what is it, what is it that we really need to be focusing on and remembering. Uh, the first few weeks of the year, I think we spoke about what is it that means to serve? What is it to be in the place of service? And uh, the last few weeks, I've been speaking about what does it mean to be in fellowship? What is it the beauty around fellowship? And, and last week, I guess, probably um, wanting to bring this to a point where Jesus washed his disciples' feet, uh, being in a place of humility and being in a place of love where he removed all hindrances and all obstacles to love his disciples and indeed love them to the end. And that was, uh, hopefully, I pray, a real uh, important reminder for us as to what it means not only to serve but also what it means to, um, uh, to be in a place where we know how to wash each other's feet or be in a place where we know how to fellowship with with one another. Today's just the kind of a one-off. Today's just the one-off that I want to share with you, uh, something that's been, that was, I've been thinking about that I think as a church we need to know, we need to understand and we need to get, to, get a grasp on these things. And I think um, it's an area that we often are faced with, we're often uh, contend with, we often wrestle with, and sometimes it's more than other times during the day and perhaps even in the evening and behind closed doors or even out in the open, it doesn't really matter. It's one of those things that we're constantly contend. In fact, I think in the Christian circle, it's a lost art. It's one of those things where, where the beauty of it all, or, or the, the preciousness of it has been lost. And so much so that uh, it is le- not as spoken about as much and the attitude around it isn't as strong as well too. And this is the area of self-control, the area of self-discipline. And I think this is an important one just to remind ourselves and refresh our memories or our hearts around what is it that's so significant about this? What is it that is so significant for the Christian to understand that they are called to this kind of life? They are called. And what does it mean? You know, how, how does it even sound to you, you know, when, I, when I talk about this as a way of, of living as Christians, as a way of living in life, this idea that we are called to be disciplined, we are called to live a self-disciplined life or a life of self-control. And I pray this morning that it encourages us and it helps us and it brings to our memory that it's not an option for the Christian. It's not something that you can say to yourself, you know what, I, I, this sounds good, it might help me in my life. I might bring it as part of my life because it's helpful. Rather, that it's mandated or it's required of us as believers. And so I pray that uh, this morning is an encouragement and a help uh, for you. And we're going to use, um, we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians 9 at some point, just as a reference point to help you take away something with you in regards to, to this. So join me as I pray and we, let's ask the Lord's blessing upon his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we bring your word before all the congregation, your people, Lord Jesus, because this is not my word, uh, this is your word. This isn't something, Lord God, that I bring, but I pray this morning this is something that you bring. And I ask you, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would speak to every single heart that is here, that their hearts are opened and their hearts are ready to receive what you have to say. Otherwise, Lord, it's pointless. So I pray that your word may go out this morning and accomplish that which it's set out to do. I ask for your help, Lord. 
And I pray for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So self-control or self-discipline. Have you ever heard anyone say, make statements like this? Maybe you've made it yourself to someone else or maybe someone has made it to you or maybe you've just heard statements like this. Things like, get a grip. You've heard that statement before? Just get a grip, won't you? Yeah. Or statements like, um, there's no need to fly off the handle. Yeah. Or statements like, you need to know when to stop. Anyone ever told you that before? You just need to know when to stop. Or have you told someone that? Maybe you've told someone else that before. You just need to know when to stop. Or what about things like, there was no need for that kind of reaction. Anyone ever told you that before? Or have you said that to someone else? That reaction was, was a bit. It was a bit too far, wasn't it? That reaction that you that you know that you had. And while these aren't certainly an exhaustive list of things that describe a lack of self-control, they begin to paint a picture for us of what does it mean when someone finds themselves lacking what the scripture talks about as discipline or some self-control. Because these things that I've just described here should less and less be evident in the Christian life. These aren't things that you say to yourself, well, you know what, I'm human, so expect it. You know, or, or I'm just a, a man, so, so stop being so hard on me. You know, these aren't things that you kind of build in and weave into your life and as an excuse for what you can't control. You get it? Rather, they are things or experiences or lifestyles that should not exist even in the Christian life. But okay, God works in people. So you certainly should be seeing less and less of this. So when you see someone who lacks a sense of self-control or someone who is, is struggling with self-discipline, what you're going to see is a person, man or woman, child or old, you're going to see a person who is lacking restraint. You get that? Someone who is struggling to constrain themselves. Someone who kind of just goes with the flow or someone who just can't help and stop when they should stop. They, can't, they find it hard to say no and they find it hard to say no more of this. So there's, a, there's little constraints, little restraints on their lives. Whether it be in their minds or whether it be in their bodies, they find themselves without or with little self-control. Now, there's things that we can do, of course, that can help us to be more self-controlled. One of the very obvious things that we do is we don't place ourselves in a situation where we know it's going to get really hard for us. If we know that we shouldn't be in a situation, if we know we shouldn't be in a circumstance, if we know that this circumstance is going to draw out of us something that we're not going to be able to hold, a bit like Samson with Delilah, yeah, then we get out of that. But above all those things, we, sort, we ought to have a situation, where uh, we ought to have a lifestyle rather, where we are in a place of self-control. When someone is not like this, like I said, they demonstrate, if you like, a lack of restraint. And sometimes people will do this very, very secretly when no one's watching. They'll, 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 they'll uh, lack self-constraint secretly because the last thing they want people to see is their, their lack of self-restraint or discipline. 
because it's going to humiliate them or humble them or catch them out. But interestingly, some people will do this very openly because they want the person to know how they're feeling. So while, while some will hide it, some will manifest it. You get that? But nonetheless, it is still a lack of self-restraint. It is still a lack of self-discipline. Sadly, I think, and you may or may not agree with me, sadly, I think today, today's attitude around self-discipline or self-control is lacking. It's minimized it. It's almost, almost to the point where today's attitude is like it's unnecessary. Why are you going on about this idea of, of, of self of self-control. It's almost, it's almost looked like as restrictive. You know, oh, here he goes again. He's talking about the things you can't do and the things you have to stop doing and you can't, you know, fulfill anything you want to do in life. It's so restrictive and it's so oppressive. That's today's attitude. To the point where if you try and tell somebody, look, you know what, it's good to live in a life that has self-control. It's seen as a, an oppressive teaching. But I'm going to suggest to you guys that the greater the self-control in your life, the greater the freedom. You can test me on that. Go. Live your life. Live your life. But the greater the self-control and the ability for you to discipline your life, the greater the freedom. And that, my friends, I believe is the heart of the gospel. Because the Lord Jesus Christ came and showed us exactly what it required and what it was and and how we ought to be because he came to call us to a place of freedom. So the Christian attitude and the Christian mindset in the church and in the heart of the believer is one that embraces this idea of what we call self-control or self-discipline. And I pray this morning your, heart is, your hearts are attracted to it. They, they are drawn to it. That they are wanting to hear more about it. Because this is, the question, this is the question. Listen. And it's an absolutely critical question. It's very simple. Do I have self-control? It's very simple. Do I have self-control? Not did I have when I first believed, because I was enthusiastic, but do I demonstrate in my life a life of restraint for the Lord or self-control? Because this is why it's absolutely critical. Because if you don't, and if we don't, then what is the Holy Spirit doing in us? You see, a lot of people talk about the Holy Spirit and they understand the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, which is really, really important. And if I said to people, you know, you guys are familiar with the passage, I think it's in Galatians, when the Holy Spirit is described as something, as someone who brings fruit out of our lives. Yeah, we're all re- really familiar with that passage, that the fruit of the Spirit, and often we can quote the first three, the, fruit of the, fr- the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace. Okay? Now, if you went to Sunday school in this church, you probably can quote them all, which is really good. But the first three is often the three that people often refer to. When you have the Holy Spirit in your life, that demonstration of that, the evidence of that, the fruits of that, just like when you plant a tree, if I plant a fruit tree and all of a sudden another fruit comes out of that tree, I'm thinking, what's going on here? That shouldn't be the right. I planted an apple tree. I didn't want oranges. 
You know, so the fruit of the Spirit is going to demonstrate some things. And we all know that it's going to demonstrate love and it's going to demonstrate joy and it's going to demonstrate peace. But the Bible tells us that one of the other fruits or the characteristics of the Christian who has the Holy Spirit working in their life is self-control. So again, I ask you, if you do not have self-control, then what is the Holy Spirit doing in you? Or in me? If I'm one who lacks restraints and follows every whim of temptation and subjects myself to things that I ought not to because I lack this kind of restraint. It's, you know, we, we can look at this like an old treasure. Oh, this is what the old preachers used to preach, be self-controlled and be self-disciplined. And we can look at this as an old preacher's message. But I tell you the truth, it's still a very current treasure. It's still a very current tree. Yes, it's a lost art and it's a lost characteristic, but it's still, if you're willing to dig through the scriptures, it's scattered all throughout the scriptures. Even right in the garden, when the the devil said to Eve, hey, why don't you eat the fruit? And lack of self-control, if you like, took the fruit and brought disaster on this earth. But it's an old treasure that might be lost in the old minds of people, but it's certainly found in the Scripture. For example, let's take for example, uh, pressure is building up in your life during the day. There's pressure and after pressure and people want this and people demand this and people are saying this and you're feeling, you get that feeling? It's just all around you, your head's going to explode. There's pressure, pressure, pressure. Well, what words do you choose to use in that moment? What words do you choose to express how you feel in that moment? Are they words that are honorable to the Lord? Are they words they are pleasing to the Lord? Are they words that you'd be very happy for the Lord Jesus to hear you say? Because pressure will build in life. But the words we use or the, 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 the language we use or the way we speak to people in those moments of pressure demonstrate if we have constraint or restraint. What about the days that you have sometimes? I don't know if you have days like this. I do. You have days like this where you're just feeling flat. You know, you don't, you don't know why. You just don't, you don't feel yourself, you know. And the day goes on and the day you just sort of feel the same. You know what you've got to do and you go on with life, but you just feel flat or down or you just feel like something's not quite right, you know. And all of a sudden you get these days and all of a sudden you're getting throughout the day and then maybe you might experience this. You might experience some old secret sin come your way. The old temptation of life, the thing you think about a lot comes your way, floating around because the devil knows the day is not looking good and so it will come. Where's your restraint? Is there restraint? Is there a place where in that moment you can recognize and identify, hey, you know what? This is where I need to get back and, fo- and, 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 and focus and trust and believe and resist all things because this is the temptation of life. And in that is the beauty of overcoming. Because our call in life, brothers and sisters, our call in life is not to follow just the desire that we think about and feel whenever it comes our way. Our our great challenge is to be able to say, just because I desire it doesn't mean I have to have it. You get that? (laughs) <laughs> you know, that's not how you live life. 
You don't live life, oh, because I feel this, like this right now, I'm going to go and do it. That's not how we live life. We live on a much, much higher level, a level that imitates Christ, that doesn't say, just because I feel that I've got to get it, rather, what will honor and please the Lord as the Holy Spirit works in my life? How is it that I can show that I am in God, in Christ, and His Holy Spirit is working in me? Sometimes I say to people, very simple, um, what's the word? A very simple um, practice, practice. It's something like this. Why don't you practice sometimes something that you have the right to do and the means to do it? Why don't you practice saying no sometimes? It's just small. It's a small little practice. It, it, should, it shouldn't find full comfort in your heart because there's greater temptations in life. But, but go, try that. Something you can say yes to and have the right to have. Go practice saying no to something that you have the right to have and the means to have it. I know I can go here and I know I can buy this and I know I can do this, but I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. You see, the Bible is, 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 is uh, wonderful in, in describing to us these sorts of things and, and Jesus is our, is our wonderful example. Do you remember when Jesus was um, uh, in the garden? He was in the garden before his death. And remember his disciples, they were pretty passionate people and, and they went and cut the ear off of the servant of the high priest. And Jesus said this, put your sword away in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you not think that I cannot now pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? Isn't that a wonderful scripture? It's like, settle down. Where's, where's, your, where's your self-control? He, he could have just, he could have flew off the handle and said to his Father, Father, bring down the angels. But he didn't. Because his commitment was to do the will of God. That's why he said straight after that, he said, after he told his disciples this, he said, how then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen like this? So while he could have responded and reacted to the situation of all these soldiers coming towards him and said, you know, go angels, <laughs> he didn't. He was self-controlled. He did the Father's will. Or... We talk about him on the cross is another great example. And then in his suffering and in his pain, I don't know, do you feel the same way that when you feel pain and suffering, you feel the temptation to be self-controlled less? Yet in his pain and his suffering, when he looked down at his murderers and those who pierced him with his, his hands and his feet, even to them he was able to say, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Jesus our model, if you like, our example. And Paul became our teacher on the matter. I want to just read that short passage at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, from verse 24. Verse 24, chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, the Bible says, or Paul tells us and teaches us something significant on the matter. He says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things or self-controlled in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. And thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body 
and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Fascinating. Fascinating passage. You read Paul's teachings now and you need to think to yourself, well, what's he saying? What's he trying to communicate to me? You know, intellectually, as a community, intellectually, we're very good at being disciplined. You know, you set your mind to learn something, you go to university, you do your master's, people learn, they become intelligent, they become philosophers. Intellectually, people will discipline themselves, won't they? Oh, boy, won't they? They'll be in their rooms behind their books and researching and like you can't you won't even see them extremely disciplined physically athletically people will discipline themselves incredibly they will discipline themselves they will make sure they'll do everything possible to become an elite athlete you watch them you see them whether the people who go to the olympics whether it's people who play elite um, uh, sports like 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 football or netball people who do these things they will discipline themselves physically they will go to every extreme to become the elite of their sport yet when it comes to morally it's like what's, what's the point what's the point because it's lost it's lost and you can have the most fantastic elite sportsman who does the, the most disastrous moral act. But when I look at the scriptures, I look at self-discipline and, look at, and, 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 and self-control as priceless gems. Do you know that? I, I look at the scriptures and I think, wow, it is just like, should warm your heart. The greater the self-control, the greater the freedom. Listen to two, I'll explain to you. Listen to both from Proverbs. Listen to the first one. Listen to what the very wise man said in Proverbs. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. You get that? What the, what the author of Proverbs is saying is, you know, some people, they walk around, leaders of armies, and they walk around and they get really proud of themselves because they've gone and they've conquered a city and they're mighty and people look up to them because they've just done so many great things in this world and they've actually won the battle. Well, the bride says, you know what? He who controls his spirit and rules his spirit is greater than him. It's a gem. Go and cut, have all your great accomplishments. But scripture tells me that if you're able to control this part of you that is slow to anger, that makes you slow to anger and rules your spirit, then you're greater than all accomplishments. It's a gem. Listen to this other gem in Proverbs. It is honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool can start a quarrel. Isn't that amazing? Oh, starting an argument with people? Anyone can do that. It's easy. But to stop be controlled to think about hey i need to stop here and work through this argument better than just letting it rip because any fool can let it rip it doesn't take you to go to school to learn to do that everybody can do that but to stop and say what i'm about to say isn't going to help this argument it's going to make it worse it's going to fuel it so to stop get over myself 
and think what is in the best interest of this problem that we've got here how am i going to honor and please the lord and speak the next thing that comes out of my mouth speak in a way that's going to be constructive and build and resolve this argument or problem we have do you get it because any fool can start a quarrel self-control this is the work of the holy spirit in us as we lay down our lives for him that's why i'm telling you it's a lost art in the christian world because at the moment we just it's like it's normal to fly off the handle to do what you want to do when you want to do it and very very control little lack of control to say no or no more so in this passage here what Paul is saying it's it's like the it's like the end of an argument he's making an end of a re- reasoning that he's making and I just want to give you very quickly some background to the reasoning we're all familiar with the word having rights don't we people just want to have rights and I get it and there are rights that should be upheld I get that but this idea of it's my right can cross a line that you somehow make it yours and you forget the bigger picture of the kingdom well paul had this same issue and if you look at verse 4 in the same chapter that we read i'll give you a bit of background before we go back to this passage in verse 4 he says do we, do we not have the right to eat and drink and do we have no rights to take along a believing wife as do also the other apostles and the brothers of the lord or cephas or is it only Barnabas and I who have no rights to refrain from working and here he addresses an issue he addresses three areas he talks about eating he talks about marrying and he talks about working you guys think we got the right to do these things like every other christian does but what he's trying to communicate is something important even though we have the right to do these things there are choices that we make in order for god's work and god's kingdom to be done So even these rights I'm prepared to discipline myself and restrain myself if it means the furthering of the kingdom. He's not saying you know that have them. But you understand what he's trying to say? Even this I have the right to have and the right to do. I will constrain and restrain myself if it means the kingdom of God will be enhanced. It's fascinating. Someone I can imagine someone up to Paul as his friend and his counselor saying, "Bro, it's your right, man. What are you worried about?" relax go get married if you want to get married and while Paul can get married it's not wrong his context his life he's prepared to demonstrate a forfeit of something in order for the kingdom or the word to go forth even look at verse 12 he says a similar thing in verse 12 he goes if others are partakers of this right over you are we not even more nevertheless we have not used this right but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ and again he's saying there are some things even though i might have the right to do that in some context i'm going to refuse to do so Christ's gospel is not hindered yeah sure i can get money off you but i won't because i don't want the gospel to be hindered i love it because how many times do we enter into a place of argument and a place of 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 um seeking after something and in our heads what motivates us is is the very simple thing but it's my rights 
and yet it le- some, in that, some of those areas, they lead to, it leads to disaster or destruction in, in marriages or friendships, relationships. And Paul's saying, you know what, even if it appears to be my right, I will forfeit it for the sake of the gospel. And then he says that famous passage in, in verse 19 that you're all familiar with. Verse 19, he says, For though I'm free from all men, listen to this, I'm free from all men. I've made myself a servant to all that I may win the more. And to the Jews I've become a Jew and so forth. He goes, even though I'm free, I'm free from all men. Yet, for the sake again of the gospel, I will show restraint, I will show discipline, and I'll serve them. I'll do what I have to do in order for, to win more. So to the Jew, I'll become a Jew, and to one who's not a Jew, I don't, and, and he goes on and he talks about how he's going to live his life in a way that isn't just with every whim of feeling, but for the purpose of the gospel. Do you understand what he's doing? So with that as the background, oh, and then he said, look, and verse 22, sorry, one more. Verse 22, he becomes all things for the gospel. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Again, I will do what it requires, even if it forfeits my rights, and even if it means I have to let go of certain things that might be my right to do, I will do it to save some. So with that as the background, he goes into this now, and he says, hey, don't you know that everyone who uh, runs in a race, that only one gets the prize? And this is really interesting, because what he's saying here, listen carefully, he's saying, he's not saying there isn't a race to run in life. But I think what he's trying to say is, you've got to run the good race. Because there is a race out there, call it the rat race, call it whatever you want. There is a race out there that will burn you out. At the end of the day, we'll be driven by what uh, you desire mostly and the end and the outcome of it will be nothing at all. It will be perishable. Just like the athlete who trains and trains and trains and trains, at the end of the day, the crown that he gets or the crown that she gets will perish. So he's trying to say there is a race out there. <laughs> it's, it's a worldly race. It's a, it's a horrible race. And it'll, it'll burn you, scar you, wound you, and at the end you'll have nothing for it. Yes, but I want you to run a race that's the good race. He wants wants to run the good race. And that race is very different. It comes with purpose and meaning and love and hope. And at the end, there is an outcome. And listen, a prize that's imperishable. He says, I want you to run that race. But that race will require you to be disciplined. And that's why he goes on to say here the things that he says. Because he says if you don't run with discipline, there's three problems that you're going to encounter. Problem number one is you're going to encounter a very aimless life. See what he says here? Look at verse um, uh, verse 26. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Very, very aimless life. He says, when I run, I run with a certainty. I run with a confidence. I don't run and and with 
that, that always just trying to fulfill what I want to do because you, you, if you go with the flow so much, it's like you're saying, if you go with the flow so much, you're just going to flow off into nothing. He goes, but I run with certainty and that requires being temperate, self-controlled, disciplined. Yes to what the Lord wants, no to what he doesn't want. Controlled by the power of the Spirit, laying down my life before the Lord Jesus, knowing that when we do this, great fruit emerges, particularly the fruit of Christ. He goes, so if you can run the race, if you, if you, want, you, can run a run, you can run another race, but it's going to be aimless. You're going to run with uncertainty. Second problem you're going to run into, he says, you're going to be one who beats the air. You're going to get tired. Can you imagine someone who's a boxer just beating the air? They're just beating, beating, beating. There's just nothing they're hitting. There is no outcome. There is no win. There is no success. You're just beating air. What's going to happen if you keep beating air and you run without and you run a race that's part of the world's race? You're just gonna, it's going to tire you out. You're going to get exhausted. You're going to feel deflated. You're going to feel defeated because you're just not doing anything. And so it is for the Christian. You can go and go with the flow and, and, and do what you want to do and fulfill every desire that you have, but you're going to be someone who, who, who lives life aimlessly and someone who is going to exhaust themselves, one who beats the air. And the third, perhaps, and the most serious warning he says here, uh, you'll be someone who is disqualified, potentially. And that's when he says, but I, verse 27, but I discipline. It's an interesting word here for discipline. It's almost to the point of... Um, uh, striking and beating, but we know that he doesn't mean that physically, uh, but rather uh, the intent and the motives and how we act and do and react to things. Uh, he goes, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, lest after I've preached to others, I myself should become disqualified, or in other words, I don't stand the test or I become unapproved. Because you can imagine the end of someone like this. Imagine someone who says, you know what, I'll just, go, I'll just go with the flow, I'll do what I want to do, I show no restraint whatsoever. Well, not only will they be aimless and not only will they be tired, but at the end of the day, they run the risk of doing things that they will find themselves unapproved. Because how much can you control yourself? What does the Bible say in Proverbs? Which man can take fire to his bosom and not get burned? You can play. You can play for a while with fire. And if I remember correctly, that's in the context of, well, it's in the context of sin. You can play with fire, but eventually it'll burn you. And he goes here this, at the end of the day, he goes, it's someone, lest I be disqualified. Now, isn't this a wonderful verse? Because people, people always talk about this verse. What does it mean? Is he disqualified from ministry? Is he disqualified from preaching? Is he disqualified from the kingdom? I'm not going to tell you. Because my point here is very simple. I have my view on it. My point's very simple. Do you want to be disqualified? Whatever he's talking about. Do you really want to be? Do you want to find yourself disqualified? Whatever it is. So what we do, what we do, is that we find ourselves rather than losing this, this life, this, this, this calling, 
where the Holy Spirit is working in our lives, rather than finding ourselves letting this go, we become, if you like, the, 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 um, the, the ones who stand victoriously saying, hey, as a Christian called by Christ, I don't follow just every desire in my life. Rather, I'm absolutely committed to doing the will of God and this will require, by the power of God's Spirit, working in me and the laying down of my life, a life that is disciplined. So I run the good race. So I run the good race. And brothers and sisters, this morning, you and only you, or maybe some around you will know, that your life is either one of self-control or it's not. And you, and maybe only you, you know this morning whether you need to get that right. Because it's not an option. And as a church, it is our responsibility to make sure that when you put your hand to the plow, when you make a decision to follow Jesus, this is what you're called to do. Because it's the Holy Spirit working in you. And that, brothers and sisters, should bring you joy knowing that God's Spirit is working this great work of self-discipline and self-control in you. We can call out to the Lord this morning and say, Lord Jesus, you know the secrets of my heart. You know that uh, really, for the most part, I'm not a self-controlled person. But this morning, I believe, this morning, if we call out to the Lord, then he is here to answer our prayers. He is here to take you, mold you, make you. But maybe this morning, there needs to be a confession. A confession to the Lord, just you and the Lord saying, Lord, you know, this is something I'm not doing. You know that I'll go with every whim of temptation, that I'll, I'll go with the flow, and even though I shouldn't be doing things, I find it hard to know to, when to say no or when to say no more. But Lord, today, today, change me, mould me, make me by the power of your Spirit. Let me pray for us. Let's pray this morning and ask the Lord to work uh, by his great power in our lives, not something that we choose, or we have a choice to do, but rather something the Lord has called us to do. Evidence of His Spirit working in us. Evidence of the good race that He's called us to as His children. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord God, that you have brought us out of a life that was absolutely sensual, and went with everything we felt we wanted to do. You've called us out of a life that had no restraint, that was subject to the slavery of our flesh. But you brought us into your kingdom and made us slaves of Christ. Thank you for this freedom, Lord. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that is working in us. And thank you for your great love that would transform us into this image, the image of your Son. Bless this church, Father. Continue to work your ways and your truth in us that we may demonstrate, reflect, live 
and walk the way you did, Jesus. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.